great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna... What is up, Bills Mafia? A little Sunday emergency podcast for Saturday. all of you. Oh, it's Saturday. It feels like a Sunday, doesn't it, Ryan? <laughs> it, it does. Here's it the thing. It absolutely does. You didn't need to lean all the way into the microphone when you said that. You could have just said, it's true. Or it's Saturday. I said Sunday again. <laughs> I'm on Dream State. You actually texted me when this deal went down, or the, the, the report of the deal went down, and you're like, do you want me to grab this? Because obviously you had seen that I hadn't put anything out. We usually talk back and forth with each other. I was sleeping after a full day at the ballpark today. I was just knocked out cold on my couch, woke up about 45 minutes after everything went down and you had put up a story on it. That's up at Syracuse.com in New York upstate right now. Uh, I'm writing a, a follow-up story that'll be up later today. We have a lot to get into because Ed Oliver polarizing defensive tackle for the Buffalo Bills uh, reportedly gets a four-year, $68 million contract extension, uh, reportedly $45 million of that guaranteed. And if you add on a year, Ryan, that means that you know he's coming in at a just a little bit north of $15 million AAV, average annual salary over the next five years. Let's get into our initial takeaways, thoughts on the deal, because this is one that I think there's probably a mixed response amongst media members locally, whether or not this would be in the cards here, even like in, in training camp before this season started and they get it done well before that. Yeah. So first and foremost, getting the deal done now, it, it's probably a good thing for both parties. Uh, if you're at Oliver, you're looking at the deals that Dexter Lawrence signed this off season that Jeffrey Simmons signed this off season. And, they ended up getting, uh, you know, four years, 90 million, I believe, on average for both of them. Um, so they, they really secured the bag, so to speak. And Ed Oliver hasn't played up to that level, up to that uh, number or status. But I, I feel like where it's coming in at that four years, 68 million, it, it's a good price point for, for him in terms of what he's getting, the guaranteed money that's attached. The Bills are banking on his best football being ahead of him. And I almost I, we've talked about this before, man. I almost always feel bad for Ed Oliver. It's not his fault that he was selected in the top 10, that he was compared with Aaron Donald coming out. I think there's been some unrealistic expectations for him, but he's actually been very good uh, for the Buffalo Bills. It just doesn't always show up on the stat sheet. Yeah, and I think like if you just take the player, right, and we're going to get into the numbers and what this means, like measuring against other defensive tackles in the league and and where he kind of ranks in all of that now with his new deal, I think that there's still plenty of ceiling room to kind of ascend to for Ed Oliver, right? The sack numbers haven't been there. To be under 10 sacks after four seasons, I believe, Ed Oliver after four seasons has put up 14 and a half sacks. I apologize. Right. He had five as a rookie, but three second season, four and 21, and then two and a half last season. When you get Von Miller for most of last season and you're, and you're probably sitting there looking at this deal saying, I don't know if I'm a Bills fan, if I wanted to sign up for four more years of Ed Oliver, but let me just offer a little bit of the other side of this thing. This is a player that I think it took a little bit more time for him to 
figure out how to win at this level. Like, I think like we didn't talk enough about in 19 and maybe even in 20, how like wide eyed he was seeing the the jump from Houston and college football to the NFL. And, you know, when he finally got things going, we've seen at different times in his career, the, um, the high end of Ed Oliver. I was, I asked Eric Washington, we got a chance to talk to him. It's fitting this year. And and this is something I'm writing about uh, at the site for later tonight. We got a chance to talk to him uh, earlier this week. And I asked him about what's different from the Ed Oliver now compared to the guy that you met three years ago when you got here. And he said, the difference is now is he doesn't have to just tie himself to veterans in the room to try to get learned up. He's actually adding even in a room with Von Miller and, and Daquan Jones, all these like veteran defensive tech, Jordan Phillips, he's now adding pieces of information and um, thoughts on how to do things in meetings. And he's grown into more of a, uh, a leader. And, and I think that that's a part of this. I've always maintained that I thought the bills have a different view of Ed Oliver than maybe the fans do, or maybe even some members of the media. Don't get it twisted though. For this kind of money and what they drafted him to be, I think that now the expectations rise for Ed Oliver tremendously. You're now one of the top 16 played paid players at your position. You are on a defensive line with a future Hall of Famer in Von Miller, a Daquan Jones who completely changed the dynamic of that line last year with how well he played. You know, the expectations are high. And I think that what this deal shows you, the Bills are banking on him and being able to figure out a way to be the player they drafted him to be. Yeah, and he's on the line with an up-and-coming Greg Rousseau, a new player in Puna Ford, though, that uh, had his moments in the NFL. So they're surrounding him with the proper amount of talent. Uh, And you're right, now is that time for him to take that leap. And that's what the Bills are banking on with this new contract. They're thinking, we're going to end up getting a steal if he takes that next step in his game. Uh, If he has more of those moments like he's had, it, it feels like every Thanksgiving game, he stepped up and had a big role on this defense. You know, if he has more games like that, if he has more games where he's making the the game changing play, the you know he had a safety this past season, for instance, he's he's kind of getting through blowing up plays in the run game. You just need to start seeing that a little bit more based on the salary that they gave him. But you said it; it shows that the Bills have viewed him differently than maybe some of the outside media uh, people that have you know the, the fans that feel like maybe he's underperformed uh, again. He's a defensive tackle. You know, sacks aren't necessarily a huge part of their game. I know he is supposed to be more of that guy that could come in from the get that internal pressure uh, based on his skill set. But it's also the talent that they had him surrounded with early on in his career. And maybe it didn't allow him to kind of be that type of player. But we, we're seeing more and more flashes of his uh, dominance in games. And it shows that the Bills really feel like there's something there. And listen, for the Bills, this is big, too, because. Before they signed this extension with Ed Oliver, they did not have any defensive tackle under contract for next year and beyond. So that changes things, too. And it gives them a starting point of, okay, who do we want to have next to Ed Oliver? Who do we want to have uh, rotating with Ed Oliver? Is it a Puna Ford who maybe gets an extension in season or after the season? Do they try to extend Daquan Jones? So at least gives them that starting point, too, for the future of this team as well. And Oliver is still really young too. He won't actually turn 26 until December. And if you look at some of, you know, the big names in the top, in the top 15, you're looking at guys 26 and above. As a matter of fact, let's go through these names real quick, Ryan, these 15 ahead of them, Aaron Donald, Jeffrey Simmons, Duran Payne, 
Dexter Lawrence, Javon Hargrave, Leonard Williams, DeForest Buckner, Chris Jones, Jonathan Allen, Vita Vea, Kenny Clark, Draymond Jones, Eric Armstead, Grady Jarrett, and Cam Hayward. All of those players, Ryan, are 26 or older. Quinton Williams is 26. Christian Wilkins is 28. He's a really old player, especially considering where the Bills drafted, you know, was in the same draft as Ed Oliver, right. Quinton Williams, two years older. You look at some of those names and you you think about the, the perspective contract extensions for Williams, Wilkins that are on the horizon. I think the Bills getting aggressive here and getting this deal done and getting it at under $16 million per year. This is really similar to the Trey White situation a couple of years ago, right? When everybody saw what they paid for Trey White and then all of a sudden all these other extensions were done. And you're like, whoa, that pushed him way down. So now you're in a situation where in a few years, as the salary cap continues to balloon, he's going to be way down on that list. And I think that's a huge pro. And I know that Chris Jones is already ahead of him, but he's going to be in line for another monster deal here soon. That's going to probably put him up at the very top of that list. Quinn and Williams, uh, he's having issues with the Jets right now. He kind of had that social media where he removed everything about the Jets from his profile. Uh, they're either going to pay him a boatload of money or another team will. So that's another defensive tackle that will push Ed Oliver down that list soon. Um, the list kind of goes on and on. He, even a Christian Wilkins, despite being 28, like you said, he'll get a monster deal too that might uh, surpass Ed Oliver's because Wilkins has been great for Miami. So all of that said, you have the TV contracts coming into play here very soon with the salary cap ex- uh, expecting to kind of balloon and explode. If he also takes the next step, one, it looks like a steal from that perspective. Two, if he keeps getting bumped down the list of highest paid defensive tackles and all of a sudden he's not top 16, he's in the top 25, uh, then you're saying, okay, this is actually a really good value. It's something that I don't envy it for any general manager because you're trying to base these contracts on what you think they can become. You're trying to think about what the salary cap's going to be, and you're also trying to appease, obviously, a player that you think can be a big part of this team. So I think Brandon Bean and the Bills feel good about this deal. I think Ed Oliver and his reps probably feel good about this deal based on that they now can call Buffalo home for the foreseeable future, uh, that he's coveted by this organization, and that they think that his best football is yet to come. I also think you have to kind of weave into this conversation, like, what's the replacement plan? Right. Like, you know what you're getting in at Oliver. You spent the time developing the player. And it's not just about the on field production. It's like, do you trust a guy to go out there? Look at some of the picks that the Bills have had the last couple of years. Kyrie Elam is obviously the easiest, most current example where they go out and they draft a guy. They want him to slot into a starter role. And it's we're here in year two in OTAs and he's battling with a six round cornerback. And so. Sure, you can move off of that contract, right? Like you can have somebody else sign at Oliver. You can get a comp pick back like they're going to do with the whole Tremaine Edmonds deal. And then you got to go out and find somebody to play to, to play the role. And even going outside of the organization and maybe signing a free agent, that also comes with its own bit of unknowns because how are they going to fit into the scheme, the coaching, all of those kinds of things. I think for them to make this decision to re-sign him, they must have had conversations in the building 
Eric Washington, now Sean McDermott taking over, Brandon Bean coming together and figuring out a way to put together a plan to turn an Oliver into the force that they want him to be. And if they're going to be a more aggressive style defense, Ryan, and they're going to start deploying their linebackers as part of the pass rush a little bit more, getting a little bit more exotic with their looks and, you know, being more creative with the way they rush the passer. That's another way that I think you can unlock Ed Oliver because now all of a sudden teams can't zero in on him as much, especially when Von Miller gets back, if he's to the level of player that he was a year ago. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to talk about Sean McDermott, this aggressive defensive scheme that we're hearing about, the fact that Ed Oliver, you know, obviously he's a defensive tackle, but he, he's played on the outside a little bit here and there in terms of a few snaps, uh, showing what he can do out on the, in that type of role. So this is going to maybe unlock him a little bit too as a pass rusher, let him try to uh, take his game to the next level in that capacity. We've seen him, despite being undersized at defensive tackle, he gets so many double teams, Matt. And again, that's I'm not trying to knock the, the, the typical Bills fan, but if they really watched every snap of Ed Oliver and they sat there after a game and they said, well, why is he not getting more stats on the on the stat sheet, this, that, or the other? It's because he's taking on double teams on a regular basis, and he's doing a fairly good job with said double teams too and still making a few plays per game. So if the talent around him goes to that next level, you get a healthy Von Miller back, uh, Greg Russo, who we've talked about, and my, my expectations of him having a breakout season going from four sacks year one, eight sacks year two. Uh, both of them increase their productivity on the outside, and you still have Daquan Jones with, you know, when he was healthy last year, he was a, a game changer for that team, too, in the run game and just, you know, a more stout defensive line in general. I, I really think that Ed Oliver could be in for a, a huge year, and now it's not going to be that huge year that allows him to break the bank with Buffalo or elsewhere next year. It's, hey, we've got this guy under contract now for the next few years, and all of a sudden, like I said, maybe after one year, the Bills fans are talking about how good of a deal this new contract is. Brandon Bean also plays, you know, he's playing chess out here, right? And I'm not saying and compared to other GMs playing checkers, but you have to be in the sense that you have to be strategic with where you allocate your resources. You know, Matt Milano right now is getting a lot of money at the linebacker spot to go out and give Tremaine Edmonds the deal that the Bears did, which made him the fourth highest paid linebacker in the NFL. That just to me isn't as good of a use of resources as this one might be with Oliver, which comes in at less AAV. It's it's you you might be able to get out a year earlier, depending on how this thing looks as we get to the contract numbers. And it's a four-year, $68 million extension with a reported $45 million guaranteed that gets added to his fifth-year option year. And likely that means that the salary cap is going to come down. Uh, it, number yes. in 2023, which is probably another adva advantageous part of this for Brandon Bean that keeps him under contract through 2027. And I think there's a, here's the thing, Ryan, there's always going to be question marks with players. Like I remember even talking about the Matt Milano deal as much yeah. of a, how much they saved resigning him to the deal that they did, considering how much we thought he could have gotten on the open market. I still think that there were some people that were like, well, you can't play an off ball linebacker that much. Like you can't spend, go out and draft another player. And we've seen how vitally important Matt Milano has been to this defense. Maybe they think that Oliver continuing to take those steps could find a way to be that same kind of impactful player. And that the guy that they drafted in the, in, in the top 10 picks. 
Yeah, you know, one of the first comments I saw after the deal was announced was Greg Russo on Instagram, and he said, well-deserved, uh, for real, for real, the, the FRFR there. Um, so he has the respect in that locker room. He has the respect of his coaches. Uh, we, we've heard nothing but good things about him from Brandon Bean as well. So he, he's definitely someone that's earned that respect within the organization after coming in here as that top 10 pick. Um, so, and, and then real quick, touching upon the Tremaine Edmonds conversation, I think that Brandon Bean has already kind of showed this offseason in the podcast appearances that he's done that he was ready to move away from Tremaine Edmonds if the if they couldn't figure out something that was attainable for both parties. And I think they knew that he was going to be out of their price range. He's talked about how as great as Edmonds was for this team, the wingspan, the the athletic ability. There were there were coverage issues that he you know that uh, it wasn't his fault. He was just a massive human being, and there were certain backs and tight ends he couldn't keep up with. And they probably felt like they could go the rookie route or a younger player route and uh, make up for that and save a lot of money. Where, like you said, if you let Ed Oliver go at the end of this upcoming season, if he doesn't sign that extension, you're either paying a lot of money for a free agent to come in here, a top tier type of free agent to replace him, or you're going back to the drawing board in the draft and. You know, if you're Buffalo, if you're a Bills fan, you're probably not drafting until at least the 20s. So the the top players at that position are gone, too. So it's a tough scenario. Uh, And I think that the Bills kind of navigated it well in terms of the AAV uh, that Oliver will be getting and and making both sides happy. Franzo on YouTube. Jeffrey Simmons is a Rolls Royce and Oliver is a Nissan Cube paid like he's a Bentley. Yikes. Ooh. That is some harsh, harsh words there from Franz. Franzo, I don't know. Like, I understand the level of frustration with, okay, you take a guy who got this Aaron Donald buzz. And honestly, there's also a, a jump forward to the 2023 draft. And you draft Dalton Kincaid in a lot of ways with that Travis Kelsey type of role in mind where you're hearing that in the media. Like, that's kind of like the narrative that's been building. And now you have these supersonic expectations for Dalton Kincaid coming out. It was the same with, with Ed Oliver. It was almost like a, a bar that was set that he was never going to be able to reach. So that I guess that to a, to a degree is unfair, but now with the extension, I think I mentioned this earlier in the show and I really truly believe this. I think this places some pressure on Ed Oliver to now come out and be more of the more reliable version of that player that they they drafted him to be than he's been. Here's the quote, uh, another quote from um, Eric Washington in terms of, okay, what do you have to see from Ed Oliver in this season to take that next step? And here's what he said. Just continue to play the game as much as you possibly can from the neck up. When you have the kind of talent that Ed has, you got to understand situations that that could mean the difference in separating yourself from the opponent. I've got to be able to process very, very quickly and so that I can win my one-on-one so I can play ahead of a play as opposed to playing within the sequence of that particular play. So with where Ed is from an experience standpoint, we need him to anticipate and play ahead as opposed to playing with the tempo of the play. So just situations, certain nuances with certain calls, and understanding where I can take advantage of that based on my position. So basically what that tells us is, all right, Ed Oliver sometimes gets caught up in the commotion of a play as opposed to reading it, maybe pre-snap or even during the play, being fast enough, being quick enough, which is crazy to say, Ryan, because I think 
Ed Oliver's get off, his ability to get in the backfield and 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 at least seem like he's making something happen to me stands out at times, but obviously not standing out enough of the time for Eric Washington. And that's an area that he's challenging him, especially now. This holds even more weight one week later uh, from when he made those comments for Ed Oliver in 2023. Yeah, when you put something like that out there to the media, it is. It's kind of like, a, here's your challenge. Here's what we need to see from you. And uh, the Bills wouldn't have given him this kind of contract if they didn't think that he could do that. And, you know, m- maybe that's what they mean, though, Matt. Maybe it's one of those plays where he gets into the backfield and looks like he's doing something. And maybe uh, that's what the opposing defense is hoping for because they're trying to lure the, the defensive line in, whether it's like a screen play or something different. Maybe he can be over-aggressive at times. Uh, but that's something that comes with time too. He's still a very young player. Uh, but now, like you said, with this money, with this contract, the bills are saying, all right, we have this faith in you to become this game changer for us to become this, uh, difference maker on, on that defensive line, but defense as a whole, uh, we are getting older in certain spots, but you're going to be one of our cornerstone guys for the foreseeable future. Uh, so now it's up to Ed Oliver to show that the team was right to pay him this kind of money. And if, Listen, he wants to get another uh, uh, get another extension at some other point, then that could be the case too. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. What is up, everybody? This is Matt Perino from Shout, a Buffalo Bills football podcast, here to talk to you about prize picks, the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. Prize picks is the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on two to six player staff projections and watch the winnings roll in football season may be over, but the action on the floor is heating up. Whether it's tournament season or the fight for playoff home court, there's no shortage of high-stakes basketball moments this time of year. Get in on the excitement with Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app where you could turn your hoops knowledge into serious cash. You can now win up to 100 times your money on Prize Picks with as little as four correct picks. You could turn $10 into $1,000 with NBA, NHL, and college basketball entries today on Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app. Download the app today and use code SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, download the app today and use the code SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, for a first deposit match up to $100. Here's a question. Why not? We'll, we'll transition here. And I, I got some other things that I want to talk about with Oliver. I have been wanting to ask this question for a while. Why is it the bills pay zero attention to the backup quarterback spot? Not even adding late round or unsigned guys. It's an interesting little like sidebar here because I actually like the fact that the bills don't go out and bring in this, the Mitch Trubisky experiment experience, mm-hmm. if you will. I think to me, when you go out and get a higher end backup, it raises the expectations for like what'll happen if the starter leaves or gets hurt. If Josh Allen goes down, I I mean, outside of maybe 11 to 15 other quarterbacks in the league, it's probably not going to be the same team, same offense. I mean, you're going to have to change a lot of things. Like Case Keenum was great in the room, right? He was a great teammate. Uh, But I think that had he had to play any significant amount of time, it would have been a problem for me. I don't have as big of an issue of it. I think at this point, as we've seen 
over the last couple of years, Matt Barkley sticking around, the Bills going out and getting Kyle Allen. It's become more of like, let's make that room great for Josh Allen, like bringing guys that he's comfortable with, that we think he can kind of vibe with, as opposed to going out and getting answers if he gets hurt. He is the answer. And if he's, you know, if he misses a significant amount of time, you're probably failing the test, no matter what backup quarterback that you have. I, I don't put a lot of stock in that. Ryan, what do you think? Yeah, get, bringing in a young guy, bringing in someone via the draft. I don't think that'd be a good use of assets for this team. Um, I, I don't see. I think a lot of fans would be upset actually, if he, even if it was a late round pick in terms of uh, trying to add more talent around this this roster, adding more depth to the offensive line, or whatever they do with these late round picks, um, or adding to the secondary like they did this year with Alex Austin. I think that's better for this team right now than trying to find a young developmental quarterback that they can bring along because. You know, when you have Josh Allen, you're leaning on Josh Allen, you're depending on him. And if he goes down, like you said, there's very few quarterbacks in this league that are in that backup role that, okay, they're going to come in and they can lead us to a Super Bowl. There's not many Nick Foles type of situations like there were a few years ago with the Eagles where that pans out like that. It's usually game over for teams when your starter goes down. But what they've done the past few years with the Case Keenum, the Mitch Trubisky, and now the Kyle Allen if Josh had to miss two weeks, three weeks with some kind of minor injury, I think they feel like that quarterback could get them to one and two, two and one, or if it was four games, two and two, three and one uh, with the other talent around them with, especially the way that they've added to the running back room. Now you could probably lean on the run game a little bit more if Allen went down uh, and, and you had to lean on one of these backup quarterbacks. So it's nothing that you're thinking about long-term as Reggie's barking about who knows what. No, he's saying draft quarterbacks on day three. Sign them all, bring them <laughs> in for the competition. He wants to see some action on that backup quarterback spot. I think the Jake Fromm experience probably scared them off from that also. Like when you go out and you take BPA, uh, best player available on day three, it made a lot of sense at the time. I mean, Fromm at times was a day two pick. At times during that cycle, he was a first round pick, um, which was, you know, looking back, is kind of crazy. Um, so I just don't think it, it necessarily materialized. But Nate, I wanted to throw you a little bone there. Uh, we could talk about that for a minute. Let's transition back to Ed here real quick and what this potentially means for this year, because I think one of the things the bills now, you know, maybe set themselves up better or, you know, more comfortably to be able to try to work something out with free agent wide receiver, Deandre Hopkins, right? That's where your mind goes with any type of salary cap space added uh, with, you know, a, a, a big time wide receiver on the market. Um, Ryan, where do you stand? First off, I do think that, you know, there, there's still going to probably be work to be done. I don't think DeAndre Hopkins, based on reports, is going to come in. Uh, Tim Graham had a great report on Friday about, you know, that it's probably not looking good with the Bills just because DeAndre Hopkins is going to want his money. And can he get that kind of money with the Bills who are so cash strapped in 2023? That's going to be a real challenge. I still think they're in a spot where all of the potential maneuvering they have to do is a bit dangerous. Like, you know, the Von Millers of the world, the Deion Dawkins of the world, like, could you extend Deion Dawkins and restructure this year, give him a bunch of uh, upfront money and tie yourself to him for an additional year or two? He's still pretty much in his prime, right? I know he had maybe a down year, but what if his long-term future is maybe at guard and now all of a sudden you're paying him top tier left tackle money and you decide to move him inside after another you know, downer of a year this year, if that ends up happening, which I, by the way, I don't think is going to happen. I think Deion Dawkins is going to bounce back. I like what they've done on the offensive line. And 
surrounding him with a little bit more speed and athleticism at potentially that left guard spot. I like this position he's in. I'm just playing hypothetical. I don't think that that's necessarily a slam dunk extension candidate. So with all the other work that they have to do, potentially, I don't know if it totally makes sense for a guy that, you know, the more and more whispers you hear about around the league is, you know, maybe some, some NFL people thinking that you're not getting the same DeAndre Hopkins that I think a lot of fans are hoping to see at 31 years old. I think the ship has sailed on Hopkins unless, again, it comes down to a drastic type of pay cut. And it doesn't seem like that's what he's in the market for. He wants to get paid probably something around the Odell Beckham Jr. type of number. And to be fair to him, he's been very productive. Even when he was out with a suspension for a few games last year, he came back and was very productive for the rest of the season. So maybe he'll get that from a team that's not a Super Bowl contender. And in the NFL, at the end of the day, your careers are, are short, so you want to get as much money as you can, and I can understand that. Um, but, yeah, a, a move like this with Ed Oliver's contract, it frees up some money uh, for them in 2023, but it might just be money that you want to have around in season if there's an injury and there's a free agent you want to bring in off the market, off the street. It, it could be uh, at, at the end of training camp if there's still one of those veteran pass rushers on the market and they're all of a sudden going to take a lot less to play this season and uh, try to reestablish their value. I don't think it's going to be a big splash move like a Hopkins at this point. Again, the only thing I'll say about that is if all of a sudden there is no market for him and it's okay, maybe I do want to shift gears and sign a one-year deal with a Super Bowl contender, that could open it back up. But, you know, Tim Graham does a great job reporting. Uh, and based on what he said, it seems like money is going to – supersede playing with an elite quarterback. And and again, that's okay. These players uh, need to think about their longevity in terms of their life after football and, you know, the type of generational wealth that their families can live off of for uh, quite some time. So I have no problem with players trying to do what's best for their own interests. By my math here, just looking it up as on the fly, this makes the fifth bean draft pick to be extended. So 2018, 2019, you have Taron Johnson, Josh Allen, Dawson Knox, Ed Oliver, and Tyler Bass. So that's that's five now extensions for players that Brandon Bean has drafted. And you're probably looking at some more here as we trickle through the next 12 to 16 months. Who do you think is next up? Because I think the the most interesting conversation that remains now is what this means for Gabriel Davis. Because Mm -hmm. I think some people might have been in the camp before this deal was maybe you have to pick between an Ed Oliver extension and a great Gabriel Davis extension. If you want a path to a wide receiver three, maybe, or two of the future, however you figure out, uh, figure on uh, Gabe Davis's role and, Obviously, he's going to be two in the offense this year. Maybe you think that there's a better path to finding a replacement for Davis's role as compared to Oliver's role a little bit more cleaner. Does this change your perspective on the Davis extension at all? Do you still think it's probably on the way? Did you not think that it was even going to be in the cards? Where are you kind of at? Uh, Let's have that conversation on Davis. Yeah, listen, wide receiver two money is all of a sudden very high in this league. And if he wants to get paid like a number two wide receiver, the Bills might have trouble meeting those demands. So uh, I, I think that it doesn't change where I was at on a possible extension. I think the Bills are going to probably let this one play out. 
uh, see how he does, see if he can stay healthy, see if he can be that player that we saw those glimpses of. And it's again, it's unfair to compare him just to that one Chiefs game in the playoffs, but that's what that's the game that they're always going to talk about when you talk about Gabe Davis. Uh, so, but if he can flash more like that, if he can keep away from those ankle injuries this year, then maybe he is next. But you know, you look at the the draft classes in terms of who could be next in terms of the Brandon Bean draft picks. I don't know if there's anyone left in that uh, 2020 Epinesa. You know, quietly had six and a half sacks last year. Maybe he's someone that they try to extend at some point, but I don't see it. Moss is gone. Gabe Davis is who we're just talking about. Fromm's gone. They have Bass. Hodgins is gone. Dane Jackson. They like Dane Jackson. Uh, maybe he, he's some, you know, a more, much more manageable contract for a Dane Jackson though, than what we're talking about here with uh, Gabe Davis. So when it comes to Gabe Davis, it, it's going to come down to where the bills are comfortable paying him, what he's looking for on the market. And, Maybe right now both sides are just kind of in a wait-and-see mode because Davison and his reps probably know that that TV money is going to really bring up the cap space here or the, you know, the cap for all the teams here soon, and maybe he can cash in elsewhere or with the Bills. And the Bills probably don't want to rush into signing him to a monster deal too soon because there are still questions about whether or not he is a true number two receiver in this league. You know, it's interesting because I thought you're right, number two money – you know, you look at some of the higher end number twos in the league, like Chris Godwin, Mike Williams making the 20 million. You're like, okay, that's, that's getting really, really rich. And if you actually look at Kobe Myers as a comp to Gabe Davis, I think that that might be where the, the bills try to play their hand in these conversations. Look, Jacoby Myers on a bad offense last year had 67 catches, 804 yards, had six touchdowns. Gabe Davis in one of the best offenses in the league is the number two, 48 catches, 836 yards. So obviously the yards per reception, a little bit of different um, flavor of receiver and then seven touchdowns, but the numbers are pretty comparable. And you have Jacoby Myers getting 12 million average annual in Las Vegas as what was maybe the top prize on the um, free agent market outside of Odell Beckham, who was kind of in his own little pocket uh, because he hadn't played football last year. If you can get in that somehow, get in that 13, 14 million, I'm I'm much more, I feel like it's much more a deal that I'm able to stomach. But once I think you get into that 16, 17, 18 range, I just don't know if he is Mike Williams important to this offense. As, as important as I think he is to this offense. Does that make sense? When Mike Williams isn't on the field for the Chargers, we've seen those advanced metrics. They they're they become an anemic passing offense. I think it gave Davis missed time with the Khalil Shakir's of the world, the Trent Sherfields of the world. They, they have answers and, and ways to kind of matriculate, you know, uh, production and try to produce production. I don't know where, where are you at with what Gabe Davis means to the offense? No, I, I'm right there with you. I think that if he were to miss some reps on the, on the field or a few snaps per game or a game here and there, they could get by. They could figure out ways to utilize Shakir and Sherfield, Deontay Hardy, obviously of the two tight end sets that you can hypothetically now produce with Knox and Kincaid. Um, is Are the Bills finally going to utilize uh, pass catching running backs this year? They have Cook, uh, who was really good last year in, you know, in as a rusher, he didn't really get as many receptions as I thought he was going to. Naheem Hines is there. So they have so many other options that I think they could figure out a way. 
like you said, this isn't something where if he's off the field, the offense is going to suffer significantly. Now, it, obviously, it would make I think it could make Stefan Diggs's life a little bit tougher. Teams would really zero in on him if if Gabe Davis was out, but a lot of teams already do that. They're already double teaming him. They're not going to start triple teaming him. They're just going to hope that someone else steps up though. And with all these other options, the two tight ends, like I said, the backs that can catch the ball, these new faces that they brought in. Uh, I think there are potentially some options there. Guess what? We have another observation show coming to you on Tuesday. OTAs, the final open practice comes to you from Orchard Park, which means Ryan and I will be back in these seats talking about everything that happened at One Bills Drive. Then the following week, we have mini camp, June 23rd. Ryan, tell them what we got coming up. Oh, live show at Wingnuts Friday night, June 23rd, 8 p.m. start time, Bills Mafia. Join us there. You know, I'll be there a little bit before the start of the show. Uh, we love chatting with the Bills fans before and after. Have some great wings, have some great beers, and have some great times with us as we talk all things Bills. Link is in the description on YouTube and all the audio platforms. Take yourself to the event fate event page uh just hit the interested button or going button you'll get a uh reminder about a week out and then a couple days beforehand we cannot wait for wing nuts uh june 23rd 8 p.m all right that'll do it for ryan and myself we'll be right back on sarah's like no don't go don't go <laughs> listen we could do this all night but we're gonna be right back in these chairs on tuesday to give you another, another episode we're working on an additional episode for next week also in that thursday to friday range uh, so we'll keep you posted on that. Have a great rest of your weekend. Only a couple of hours left. We'll be back on Tuesday, everybody. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.